News, a show of news by and about women. My name's Amber Walker. Um, today in studio, we have Nancy Vetter Schultz, who just wrote a book, and you're going to hear from her about that project, as well as Sagacious Livingston to talk more about her 10K project. But before we get into that, we have a feature about Earth Day. How will you be celebrating Earth Day coming up next week? While some activists will be marching on April 22nd, some will be gathering beforehand on the 18th. Here's Her Turn News reporter Carla Williams with more. Orleans, a young adult novel, would make a great set in New Orleans for hurricanes after Katrina. The whole delta is now walled off from the rest of what's now called the outer states. A new society based on blood type is negotiating a way of surviving. As a post-apocalypse science fiction climate novel, does it have something to teach us? Cherie L. Smith was inspired to write the provocative novel as she was helping her mother relocate after Hurricane Katrina. Two of the main characters, Lydia and Finn, have characteristics of her mother, a strong, clever leader and survivor. I talked with Smith recently, and I asked her, do you feel there is a certain demographic that connects to your stories more than others? How do you feel your writing has impacted your readers? I have had letters from kids who thought they were the only ones who felt a certain way until they read one of my books. Um, Stories from people who... I think Fen in particular is somebody who she's a survivor. And I think that that can be inspiring to someone in a difficult situation. Because sometimes you just have to outlast the situation, even if you can't change it. And that's particularly true for kids. Characters like Fen and Lydia and other female leads you have written about create a sense of strength and empowerment. Why do you choose to tell these stories? What inspired you? For me, young adult literature should give hope. And it should guide kids towards the sort of world we want to have. And I don't mean that in a sort of pedantic, uh, listen-to-me, preachy sort of way. But if we put our truth on the page as we see it and um, have our characters, allow our characters to struggle with it and struggle towards hopefully something better, then, again, I think it, it can help inspire kids to, to do the same, to try to lean towards the light. Uh, hope is a two-edged sword uh, because, on the one hand, if you give up hope, then, then you've got nothing. You're just going to go downhill. So you're hopeful, but I also think that hope prevents people from taking responsibility sometimes. And the idea that it'll all work out somehow um, is really putting it on someone else's shoulders to make it work out. So I am hopeful, but I think it is um, hope is nothing without participation. Are there a lot of women writers in young adult literature? Do you feel like there's a division between men and women in this genre? There's an assumption that women should write for children if they write for anybody because, you know, they're the mothers. And there are a lot of women who come to writing for kids because they had children and they wanted to write something for them. 
And then there is this treatment of the men who write for kids. There is a perception from the wider world that what great guys they are, that they're willing to bend their talents for the little ones. Given that there is a strong gender division, do you think that publishers tend to have difficulty with diversity? A lot of the editors, a lot of the publishers are white, middle-class, upper-middle-class women. And they are now raising their consciousness to be inclusive, more inclusive with the stories that they are open to telling. But you also have to convince the marketing departments that those books have, have a home on someone's shelf who doesn't look like the character on the cover. Majority of your stories are futuristic and post-apocalyptic and have some sort of change in the world or the earth. With Earth Day coming up, how would you want to see yourself and the people around you spend that day? Um, we worry about the environment all the time. Um, in, in, and we do nothing about it all the time, too. And it would be sort of wonderful if on Earth Day, if it was possible, and I know it's not always possible, but if on Earth Day, if everybody would walk instead of drive, and that might mean having to stay home for the day. But if we could give Earth Day back to the Earth and give her a moment to breathe, even if we just do it that one day a year, it would be a start. And maybe it would become a habit that would expand for longer than just the one day. Smith will be coming to Madison April 18th as part of the Nelson Institute's Earth Day Conference entitled Hope and Renewal in the Age of Apocalypse. The conference wants to stir thinking on today's environmental challenges and stimulate ideas to build a just, secure, and sustainable future. For Her Turn News, I'm Carla Williams. If you attend the Nelson Institute's Earth Day Conference on Tuesday, April 18th, you can hear Sheree Smith and other authors talk about their hopes and fears for the future. To register, check out the website nelson.wis.edu. Hi, and this is Sandy Janigold, and we are very happy to have in the studio with us Nancy Vitter-Schultz, who is the author of the new book, The World is Your Oracle. Um, Nancy is Ph.D. and was named one of the wisdom keepers of the goddess spirituality movement in 2013. As the theological columnist for Sage Woman magazine, she has offered spiritual growth keynotes, workshops, and classes since 1987. Nancy honed her speaking and workshop skills in the emerging field of women's studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And welcome, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming in. So we don't have a lot of time. We're going to spend about 10 minutes talking with you, which is not nearly enough. But <laughs> anyway, so I want to focus on two things. One is, if I see this book, why would I want to start reading it? Well, I think that the divination techniques that are included in this, there are 40 different techniques for tapping into your inner knowing, one-third of which are 
visual, one-third auditory, and one-third kinesthetic, what they do is allow you to tap into your unconscious. And there are many times in our lives when being inside our mental box is just fine because it makes us makes decisions rapidly and efficiently and based on what we've experienced and what we've read, what our assumptions are about the world. But there are lots of times when we're faced with new challenges or when we're stuck in some way or when we're, you know, really starting out in some area or even just want to know a little bit more about our deeper understandings of how we understand the world and what's important to us. Those are the times that you would want to use a divination technique. Um, one of the ways that I talk about this is that divination is a compressed story, sort of a personal search for insight. And what it does is invoke a childlike wonder. So there, not only is it good for making decisions, but it also the word divination comes from the same root as divine. And from my perspective, which is just one perspective, there are many perspectives on these techniques. When I tap into my inner knowing, I feel like I've touched into the goddess's energy inside of me, as well as the goddess's energy outside of me. So if I want to be in touch with something larger than myself, a divination is a good way to to do that. So there are lots of reasons. Um, one of the things I write in here on page nine, if I can find that, is that on a more personal level, I found that a good oracle puts you in touch with yourself. It lets you discover your motivations, your feelings, and your thoughts about any question that you're exploring. It also helps you by alerting you to your hidden wishes and fears, those aspects of your personality that might sabotage your conscious choices unless you take them into account. Once you're aware of the beliefs that are operating beneath the surface of your mind, then you can factor them in like any other conscious thought. Oracles can guide your life. They can help you set priorities. Oracle, an oracle is a divination. They're, they mean the same thing. They can help you meet challenges and find creative solutions to your problems. At times, a divination can even point to an outworn habit that you need to discard or encourage you to take a risk that you might have been too timid to tackle on your own. Oracles can provide information that you need, warn you of possible dangers, and inspire your professional and creative work. So there are lots of reasons that a person might want to pick up this book and start using the divinations there. So today, uh, many people around the world are celebrating Easter, which is That's probably right. the holiest day in the Christian calendar. This divination sounds kind of pagan. <laughs> Actually, they're not. This mm -hmm. book is uh, uh, something that's available and accessible to anybody who is open-minded, whether whatever their religious path. Even atheists could use this book. Um, but if you look at where divinations come from, they actually were very important in the ancient world. Um, Julius Caesar, for instance, thought it was so important that he made himself the head of the augurs in um, ancient Rome. And uh, 
it also comes from indigenous cultures. And if you look at Christianity, there's one um, bishop who was made, um, who was given this role by using a divination using the Bible. So even Christians in the past have used this, um, and open-minded Christians certainly can can use these divination techniques. There's no reason not to. And the way I set up this book is that they're either visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. And you learn in the early part of the book or in my workshops that which one of those three senses helps you to tap into your inner knowing. And I don't define for people what their inner knowing is. For me, I say it's the goddess within. But for a Christian would probably be Christ within or God within. So... And for an atheist, it probably would be the accumulated wisdom of his or her life. So it's I'm a Unitarian Universalist, and we don't have any particular dogma that we believe should be people's ways of believing. So this is much more open-minded than a lot of the divination books that you see out there. And you mentioned the workshop, so let's talk about those. Yes. They are are starting tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow I start my first workshop on this book. It's very exciting. So again, if uh, I sign up for this workshop, what would I expect? How long is it? Where is it? What time? Yes, well, it's a four-part class, actually. Tomorrow night we'll talk about the um, overview of this approach to divination, find out which one of the three um, senses taps you into your inner knowing, and talk about how um, divination works, what questions you want to ask of it. And if time, we'll talk about the science of divination, because very excitingly, I discovered after I had finished the whole book that there was brain imaging technology that had shown how aha moments happen, and that's exactly how divination works. It does exactly what you're supposed to do to get an aha moment, floods the back of the brain with alpha waves, and then, bingo, you have a new idea that can pop into your mind. So that's what we'll do the first night. And then the three other nights will be devoted to the three different senses and how to use vision or your auditory sense or your kinesthetic sense uh, in order to tap into your inner wisdom. And it will be on four Monday nights at Threshold, which is a beautiful, fairly new space over on the east side, 2717 Atwood Avenue. And um, it'll start tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And if you're interested, you can either call me. I'm the only Nancy Vetter Schultz in the book. That's a hyphenated name, and so it's under V. Or you can email me at nancyv-s at tds.net. And I would be happy to uh, accept you into the class. We still have places available. Okay. And the other workshop is at the Unitarian Church? That's right. At First Unitarian. It will be exactly the same class, but on Tuesday nights, starting the day after tomorrow. And if you want more information on those, they can go to your website. Yes, and my website is www.mamasminstrel.net. 
and go to the calendar, and there's all sorts of information on all of the different things that I'm offering. I'm, I'm going to be in Brooklyn if anybody out there is a, a New Yorker. I'm going to be in Brooklyn in a couple of weeks doing some workshops. I wish. <laughs> out there. Um, we're almost done, but I wanted to just mention something that you had said that your daughter has done all the illustrations oh, for the book. Oh, and okay. they are so they beautiful. Are. She's a New York artist, and she... Um, I had this idea when she was 17, and she said, oh, I can't do 52 or what turned out to be 40 different paintings that use the same medium, the same style, the same idea. And I said, oh, yeah, you're 17. You have to explore. But in her mid-20s, she came back and said, hey, let's do this book. So I put down the other book that I was working on, and the two of us collaborated on this. And that was my big fear, that this would not be beautiful enough to showcase her art. And it's, I'm just very pleased at how beautifully it turned out. Fair Winds Press published this. It's not a self-published book. It's an actual published book. <laughs> Excellent. And thank you, Nancy Vetter-Schultz, for coming and talking to us about your new book, The World is Your Oracle. And thank you, Sandy, for inviting me on the show.
Sagacious Livingston on the air, founder of Infamous Mothers. So we had Sagacious on a few months ago to talk about Infamous Mothers. Can you remind the audience, Sagacious, of what the project is all about? Yes. um, Thank you all for having me. Um, So the work that we do with Infamous Mothers is we provide personal and professional um, development training for women who mother from the margins and for the people who impact their lives. All righty. And um, what does mothering from the margins mean? Got it. So often when we think about personal and professional development, um, we're thinking about upper middle class women who can afford this type of these types of services. Um, women who mother from the margins are usually teen moms, single moms, women who are former sex workers or people who f- use drugs. And usually these women, when they're coming out of these lifestyles, cannot afford the personal and professional development coaching that middle class women can't afford. And so the work that I do is bring that development training to them and to the organizations that work with them so that these women can um, build the infrastructure in their lives to parent in a way that's powerful, but to also to become powerful professionals. And I know that Infamous Mothers has had a huge impact on Madison, um, and you're taking that message on the road. Um, Could you talk to us a little bit about your um, 10K tour? Yes. So we have a book coming out next month. It features 20 women who we're saying are from the Chicago diaspora. All right. Me Um, included. (laughs) Yes, me too. Um, and And I focus on those women mainly because I'm from Chicago, and I'm a woman who's in Madison, and I was hearing a lot of conversation about how People are concerned when folks from Chicago show up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I know a lot of amazing women who are contributing to this community and other communities at large. But there's also this this violence that's happening in Chicago. So I was trying to figure out how can I help change the narrative in this community as well as how can I empower folks in Chicago. And so we focused on 20 women from the Chicago area who have kind of moved beyond it. And we're talking about ways in which these women have um, changed from being people who were discounted and people who were given up on to people who are making a difference today as doctors, attorneys, um, business owners, et cetera. And so the work that we're doing with the 10K campaign is we're trying to get I do a lot of work at the YWCA, work with Days, the Catalyst Project. We're trying to get 10,000 copies of these books in, in the hands of women who normally cannot afford them. But we're also trying to get the programming for these women. Um, we're trying to make the programming sustainable. There's a lot of budget cuts that's happening throughout the city and the country. And so programming that would normally, that the that these organizations would normally be able to afford and be more comfortable raising money for because of these budget cuts they are not as comfortable and the women are left without this important programming so I decided to use my book platform to raise the money Mm -hmm. to go back into the programming that I provide for um, the women that I serve. And um, what is your method for getting um, 10,000 books in the hands of these women? Yes so the method that I'm using is inspired by the work that I did around the Women's March. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was also... The Women's March in Madison? Yes. Okay, um, January 20th. Yes. So yes. Was, it the tw- was it the 20th or the 21st? Yes. <laughs> um, the following Jan- the election. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what happened was when I was doing the research for the Women's March, um, so again, I had five minutes to give this speech, but I had 
all of this information that went into giving this five minute speech and it was information that I couldn't address in those five minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. So the rift between black and white women, the rift between middle class and working women, the rift between respectable black women and the black women that we're calling um, the ill repute. Right. So how was I going to. I couldn't just leave those issues on the table. And so what I decided to do was I created a campaign um, around using my book platform that was meant to kind of bring the women into conversation with each other. So the one for me, too, for her campaign is encouraging people to buy three books at a time, um, one for themselves, one for a woman that they don't know, and then one for um, a woman in their life that they do know who would not normally buy the book. And we've built programming around these books. Um, We have a retreat called a day of listening um, so that we can kind of put some of these issues on the table. A lot of times um, what I've heard from white women is that they don't feel comfortable talking about um, black women and the, the different things that black women are experiencing. And so I'm hoping that these books can become part of book clubs mm-hmm. and become part of other safe spaces where um, these women will be talking to one another, but also the same with uh, middle class black women and uh, working class black women. I'm hoping that these books can be part of um they become tools for us to build larger conversation around. And then a percentage of the proceeds go back to the programming that I provide in the community. And I've seen um, a strong online presence for the 10K campaign. Could you remind us what your hashtag is if we want to engage in that conversation? Yes. So we have on on Wednesdays, we have Twitter chats and the hashtag is 10K 10K Chats, so T-E-N-K-C-H-A-T-S, and we have different themes. So this week, the theme, I believe, is the politics of of um, of womanhood. Mm-hmm. Last week, the theme was, I don't remember what the theme was last <laughs> week, but this week, the theme is the politics of womanhood. Um, oh, last week was the rebelliousness of self-care. Oh, um, yes. And so what we're doing is we're trying to engage there are these different issues that and topics that were raised in the book that we're trying to bring to the surface and build conversations um, across the country and even across the the globe with women all over, um, putting the, the stories of these women at the center of these conversations to make the point that these women issues, these women who are mothering from the margin are women's issues. Mm-hmm. And what are the stops on your tour? I know this is just like the first two legs before... Hopefully hitting internationally. Yes. So where are you going this summer? Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, Minnesota, Atlanta, D.C., Raleigh, North Carolina, Detroit, New Jersey, Philadelphia, um, and Columbus, Ohio. Awesome. 